From CPRI and the CPRI Knowledge Hub, this is Research Minutes, a weekly look at new and important research in education. Today, we look at blended learning, expected to play a key role in American classrooms as schools look to reopen in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. We can't double class size space or the number of teachers between now and the next school year. So either we have to accept that kids will have half as much academic learning, or we have to bring online learning into the mix in the form of some kind of blended instruction. We welcome Digital Promises' Barbara Means, who has spent years studying the implementation and effectiveness of blended learning strategies. She explains what researchers have learned over the years Having looked at all these studies, we can say that well-designed and implemented blended learning can be more effective than typical face-to-face instruction. And offers some important guidance on blended learning instruction, implementation, and student equity. Those gaps have been there, but many districts have been able to ignore them as digital learning was a relatively small part of instruction. That's not going to be true anymore. That's right now on Research Minutes. Hello and welcome to Research Minutes. I'm Keith Miller, Managing Editor of the CPRI Knowledge Hub. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Barbara Means, Executive Director of Learning Sciences Research at Digital Promise and founder and former co-director of the Center for Technology and Learning at SRI International. Thanks so much for joining us, Barbara. Well, thank you, Keith. It's my pleasure. So we're speaking at a time when states, districts, and schools across the country are looking toward the fall and beyond, and the prospect of resuming in-person instruction in the wake of COVID-19. Due to social distancing and group size recommendations, which may still be in place when they do so, uh, many are considering approaches that include alternating school days, extending operating hours, and blended learning. As a researcher who has spent many, many years studying it, uh, could you give us a small primer on what blended learning is, particularly as it might apply to K-12 education in contemporary schools? Blended learning is really a broad concept. It refers to any design for teaching and learning that involves both students' use of online systems and some face-to-face instruction. So it can cover anything from learning technology for homework exercises that go along with the current unit or chapter being covered in class, to learning systems with all the resources you need for a particular course where teachers orchestrate and provide complementary instruction in the classroom, such as maybe small group work or individual tailoring for students having difficulties. An example of the first of these would be learning platforms that give practice math problems geared to each chapter in a math textbook. Teachers might assign students to work on these practice problems as homework, or they might have students work on those problems during class time so the teacher can be present to see which students are having what kind of difficulty and to give them just-in-time assistance while they're present. In your career, you've extensively studied the implementation and effectiveness of blended learning both directly and by analyzing research performed by others. What does the evidence tell us about the effectiveness of blended learning as compared to, say, fully face-to-face instruction or fully online instruction? Probably the first thing I should point out is that because there are a limited number of ways you can do blended learning, 
it will not always be more effective or less effective than face-to-face or online. There's no one thing that is blended learning, so you need to look at the details of the particular comparison being made. That said, there are many studies comparing some version of blended learning to some version of regular or face-to-face instruction. And you can combine a large number of these studies and look at the average difference between the two conditions in the study. And we have done that, in fact, in a meta-analysis for the U.S. Department of Education back in 2010 when I was still at SRI. On the average, studies that were comparing blended approaches to -to face-to-face approaches found an advantage of about a third of a standard deviation for the blended condition. But in most of the studies we looked at, the blended learning condition included some types of learning activities or materials that were not implemented or could not be possible in the purely face-to-face instruction. An example would be a study of 8th grade social studies classes that were assigned either to a blended learning or a regular face-to-face condition. The blended learning condition experienced electronic field trips to different places that were relevant to the objectives about slavery and the Underground Railroad. The face-to-face classes didn't have anything equivalent to that. So our meta-analysis report concluded it's the instructional design and implementation that count. Uh, Literature doesn't let you say that it's the modality that is the blended modality per se. It's the way in which it has been designed and implemented in a particular case that seems to make a difference. That said, having looked at all these studies, we can say that well-designed and implemented blended learning can be more effective than typical face-to-face instruction. I think that's because there are some things you can do better with digital tools than without them. So blended learning is an opportunity to get those benefits, for example, of the sense of immediacy and the detail available in virtual tours of an underground railroad site, while still retaining the benefits of face-to-face instruction. Another example would be that blended learning with the digital tools is able to give individualized practice with immediate feedback right after the student has done something rather than having to wait for it to be graded and come back a day or two later. When you do this, you also have a record of each student's attempts and progress that the teacher can use to shape future instruction. Modern learning platforms track each learner's actions and aggregate them so you can look at performance by particular learning objectives. The teachers can see the number of attempts and the proportion of correct answers for each student for each objective, and that tells the teacher who needs help and what topics they need help on. The teacher can also see a summary of performance for the whole class for each concept or problem type. If instruction is being blended or if it's a combination of asynchronous and synchronous instruction that's offered online, The teacher can use that information from the digital learning system to identify what should be stressed in future class sessions and to figure out whether the class is ready to move on to new material. Based on your work and what we've seen in the research, um, do you think that blended learning or one of these blended learning approaches that you've discussed um, should be considered as a viable approach for districts and schools, which may have to balance social distancing and group size recommendations as they resume in-person instruction? 
Well, I think they should be leveraging blended learning, even if there were no such threat. But under the current state of uncertainty, I think it's really imperative. We can't double class size space or the number of teachers between now and the next school year. So either we have to accept that kids will have half as much academic learning, or we have to bring online learning into the mix in the form of some kind of blended instruction. So I hope that next year we'll see blended learning that's well-designed with most students having at least some face-to-face instruction. But of course, what we can do will depend on health conditions and what individual communities are comfortable with. You've already discussed um, some of this before, but have we learned anything about best practices or even some general guidelines for creating a successful blended learning environment for today's students? A couple of things come to mind. One that we know is very important is the alignment and coherence between the teacher-led part of instruction and what students are doing on the digital learning systems. The way concepts are represented or the way terminology is provided can differ between the two of these. And that can be very confusing for students, particularly weaker students. I remember watching a a sixth grade blended learning class some years ago, and they were working with the number line, and it was portrayed in different ways in the learning software and the textbook they had. And they were confused because the way the number line was portrayed and the symbols for operations were different from their textbook and what they'd done in class. Then you add to that that the majority of these students had a first language other than English, and you had a lot of potential for misunderstandings. As they were working with the software, multiple students raised their hand to ask their teacher what the English words increase or decrease meant. But you think about what would have happened if these students were trying to learn with a digital system entirely on their own at home, and you see the potential that this disconnect between the in-person or the textbook and the digital learning system can create for problems for students. Another kind of disconnect we see um, that occurs fairly frequently is where the teacher doesn't talk about what students are doing in the digital learning portion of instruction. So the teacher does his or her thing, and the students work with digital learning resources, but there are not explicit connections made between the two. I saw this once in an advanced technology using middle school I visited. Uh, The math teachers in that school taught in their regular classrooms, and they tried to stress deep conceptual learning. But in addition to those classes, students also went to a computer lab where they worked on math problems on a digital system independently. The teachers never talked to students about the content of the practice they did in the computer lab, and they didn't try to relate it to what students were learning in class. In fact, a lot of the teachers weren't even familiar with what was in the software. So under these circumstances, the students inferred the digital learning units weren't important, and they simply tried to click through to finish the problems as fast as possible. And I've seen that played out again in all levels of instruction, including at the college level. Another thing we know is that good blended learning design starts with the learning objectives or the outcomes you want students to achieve. 
educators are familiar with a backwards design process where they think about those outcomes, what kind of learning experiences will produce those outcomes, and how you can know whether students have attained the outcomes or not. They need to apply this process, but to bring in a couple of other considerations for this fall. First, we know they only may have half as much time in person as they normally do. And that means there's going to be less opportunity to pick up on students' strengths and weaknesses from their unstructured observations of body language or facial expression or overhearing students talking to each other. So they're going to have to think about other ways to pick up on students' level of understanding. And the second thing is, because they'll have less time in person, they have to try to figure out high-quality learning experiences that can do some of the same kinds of things, but with students working at home using digital resources. And those things should include that kind of collaborative learning and peer learning from each other that you have in the classroom. So how can you do that online? I advise having as many of these as possible in your design for this fall and having both some time where students are with their teachers online together as well as where students can work on their own schedule so that if there are competitions in the family for access to the digital device for learning, um, if there are things that come up in families and they have to be elsewhere at a certain time, there's more flexibility. Students say the most challenging thing about online learning is staying motivated around completing schoolwork and doing that work on a regular schedule when you're no longer in class where you have to be. And of course, that's particularly hard on families affected by illness or job loss or experiencing violence or the threat of violence. One thing teachers can do is to design instruction to promote student agency and self-regulation by setting up a regular pattern of activities with students responsible for doing some activities on their own according to a regular weekly schedule. So an example would be um, some elementary school classes, for example, use both digital and print versions of their English language arts textbook that have associated digital comprehension and argumentation activities that students are responsible for doing online according to a regular weekly schedule. And having students responsible for doing some work independently, even if you have students in class five days a week, is important for helping students develop a sense of responsibility and agency over their own learning. And one of the things we saw this spring is that classrooms where teachers had established this kind of routine before COVID had a much easier transition to remote instruction after the pandemic. A second challenge in learning at a distance, of course, is maintaining that sense of connection to the teacher and classmates. Uh, teachers can develop an online personality that's warm and inviting. It's not necessarily something that comes automatically to people, but many elementary teachers particularly are especially good at doing this in the classroom, and they can learn to do it online, too. Another thing is personal messages to students, just to check in with how they are, offer assistance or applaud good performance. So this is something that really increases uh, students' sense of connection to an online instructor 
and that in turn enhances performance. I think this uh, summer, teacher training and planning for what and how to teach in the fall are really important. Working on these two aspects of blended learning, routines that include independent learning and figuring out strategies for personal connections online should be a central part of this training. And that's really a lot to ask of our teachers, but hopefully they can all do that this summer. Aside from all that we've talked about here today, um, do you have any additional suggestions for districts and schools that may be planning now or considering uh, implementing a blended learning approach to instruction when schools reopen? It's really important that they have an infrastructure for blended and online learning that is equitable as well as resilient to challenges like the COVID epidemic. That means every student has broadband internet and a computing device capable of handling the digital tools and resources used in instruction. Many districts have been distributing devices and helping arrange Wi-Fi this spring, but we don't really know how many students are being left without. I would say that surveying families now to gauge the extent of need within a district and working to get an infrastructure in place is really urgent. It may make sense for schools to do things like keeping computer labs opened with open with space desktop computers so students can use them after hours come next school year. And then, of course, as I mentioned before, supporting all the district's teachers and moving to teaching online. We know that students, especially older students and those that are highly motivated, can learn independently using online tools and resources, but many students need much more teacher support. And nearly all of them want to need that sense their teacher knows and cares about them and the opportunity to interact with their classrooms. I, I used to think that leaving instruction with digital learning systems to those teachers interested in using them was a fine policy. But after this spring's COVID experience, I've become convinced that every teacher in a district should be prepared to implement synchronous online learning activities as well as to use a learning management system and implement at least a few digital learning activities in their subject area or areas. For teachers not already proficient, a school or district needs to figure out how to support them in acquiring these competencies this summer. So finally, do you think that this unprecedented era in education, which will certainly include the upcoming school year, uh, will provide an opportunity for continued research into the implementation and effectiveness of blended learning? Well, as they say, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. We're going to be in uncharted territory in terms of the sheer amount of K-12 academic learning that will have to occur outside of classrooms, and that will involve students, families, teachers who would not have chosen to go in this direction. I think we can learn a lot if we listen to those teachers and students and families. The digital divide is a huge issue here. The Equity gaps are not just in access to devices and broadband connectivity, but also in supports for using technology for learning purposes and in more powerful ways. Those gaps have been there, but many districts have been able to ignore them as digital learning was a relatively small part of instruction. That's not going to be true anymore, and we need to learn from those schools and districts that are implementing online and blended learning in ways that narrow rather than widen equity gaps. A particular opportunity, I think, is around what we assess and how we do it. 
because of issues of equity and potential cheating that were of great concern this spring, many teachers have been reflecting on what they do to assess student learning. They found themselves de-emphasizing time tests because some students might have connectivity problems that made them unfair. Uh, we found them dispensing with grading on the basis of whether you turned your homework in on a set schedule. And we also, maybe most importantly, found them trying to create what they called Google-proof assessments. That is not just asking students something that they could easily Google because of the potential for cheating, but actually questions that would have students apply a concept, which is actually deeper learning. So I think that this greater emphasis on trying to get at the deeper learning is a positive direction and may create more use of formative assessment to inform learning and less stress on summative assessments for accountability. But that is a research question. That's my hypothesis. I would love to see us learn how accountability and assessment change over the next year and whether that has a positive influence on student learning and motivation. Barbara Means, once again, is the Executive Director of Learning Sciences Research at Digital Promise, and you can learn more about her work and the newest projects and research being conducted by Digital Promise by visiting digitalpromise.org. Thanks so much again for joining us, Barbara. Thank you, Keith. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRI Knowledge Hub. For more episodes or to subscribe to the series, you can find us at researchminutes.org. To share thoughts on today's episode or to suggest future topics, you can follow us on Twitter at CPREHUB. That's C-P-R-E-HUB.